time to watch a movie you've never seen. There might be some ninjas or a crazy death machine, but there will be smiles and there will be tears. You won't watch another movie for about 800 years. It's time for death by video. final part of our American Horror Project series that we've been doing. So, I'm Phil. I'm Lillian. And I'm Graham saying, where the F is Kit? Um, He cannot be with us this evening, unfortunately, so we're just going to have to soldier on without him. He's recovering from his injuries. uh, The the, the beat down. The uh, beat down that he received last weekend. Yeah, I forgot about that. (laughs) That's just a joke. He was in a short film that I directed where he, uh, like in all of the short films I direct, he gets the crap kicked out of him. This time, well, sometimes by, fatally. Fatally, yeah. This time, I'm, I'm, I left it ambiguous. The audience will decide. So, before we get into it, I'm just going to do a quick uh, rundown of some notes. I don't have many on the premonition. It was kind of hard to find information on it. Um, the original working title for this film was called Turtle Heaven. I don't know. Um, it was directed by Robert Allen Schneitzer. Uh, he's credited for directing three feature films, which include 1973's No Place to Hide, which featured a very early performance by Sylvester Stallone. And in 1990, it was re-edited and redubbed into a parody of the Rambo series called A Man Called Rainbow. Uh, he did the film that we're watching tonight, 1976's The, the Premonition, and he did 1988's Candyland, and that is Candyland with a K, uh, which is a drama about a woman who enters a bikini contest, likes it, and then decides on the advice of one of the other bikini contestants to uh, work at a strip club called Candyland. That's all I could dig up on his his uh, oeuvre. Um, it stars Sharon Farrell, who is better known for such films as Night of the Comet, which is an amazing 80s film which we have not covered, and I can't believe I don't own it. It is a wonderful... Have you ever seen Night of the Comet film? Oh, yeah. That's a really good one. Um, yeah. Starring, Didn't that just come out on Blu-ray recently? came out, uh, I think, like five years ago on Blu-ray. Okay. Uh, starring Canada's own Catherine... Is it Catherine Mary Stewart? Yes. Yes. Also... Of the Apple. Infamy. Of the Apple and of... The last Bernie's. And The Last Starfighter, where I'm a huge fan of her. Have you ever seen uh, Night of the Comet, Lil? I don't know. I don't think so. Okay. Well, we'll, uh, we'll have to watch it eventually. Um, and Sharon Farrell was also in the lesser-known 80s slasher film Sweet 16. Uh, the film also features the actor Edward Bell, who would go on to appear in the notorious 80s crap fest, Jim Cotta, and the uh, American television, tele- television series, The Greatest American Hero. It was the film debu- debut of Daniel Brisbois, Brisbois boys, Brisbois, um, who's best known uh, to us millennial types for appearing in two videos for the 1990s one-hit wonder band, The New Radicals. Yes, she was in You Get What You Give. Um, she's also did a lot of music work as well in the background. I think she's she's a, like a background singer. Um, the film was written by Anthony Mahan, uh, and to date this is his only credit, and uh, the co-writer was 
uh, Louis Pasteur, who is better known for his acting in the film Maniac Cop, where he played one of the Johns that tried to pick up the undercover cop. The film is an example of the um, mid to late 1970s parapsychology craze that was erupting in North America, like hot on the heels of films like The Exorcist and Carrie, and then we go on to like... Demon Seed. Demon Seed, or I would say uh, Firestarter, you know, and it probably reached its apex with um, Deadly Friend. Deadly, oh, yeah. Something like that. Anyways. So that's, that's Wes all... Wes Craven's yeah, Deadly Friend. That's all the, uh, the information I, I could really dig up on this film. Um... <coughs> Uh, this time I'm sure there's more that I'm missing I didn't even read the booklet that came with the box set sorry guys I'm, I'm letting our, our listeners down by the way thanks so much for listening to our last two episodes they shot up a lot in the listens if you oh, haven't yeah. checked so I'm, I'm very pleased huge. yeah I'm, I'm pla- pleased people are digging the ninja zombie um, so guys what have we all wa- have we watched anything good since we last recorded Yes, uh, some of them mm-hmm. were rewatches. What's that? Rewatched Vanishing Point. Nice, very nice. I love that movie. Yeah, not the a... not the remake from TV with Viggo no, Mortensen and Jason Priestley. That no, that one's weird and bad. Yeah, I mean, Vanishing mm-hmm. Point has the problematic element of the magical Negro. Yeah, of course. Which and he, who becomes Jason Priestley in the remake? Yes, mm-hmm. but it is still a very entertaining movie. It is. It's of its time, but it's still it's, it's transcendent. Beautifully yeah. filmed. It's gorgeous. Um, I am. It was very impromptu. Uh, caught a free screening at uh, Innis College of Crybaby. Oh my god! I haven't seen it in so long. It's a yeah. blast. Uh, yeah, it's great. That's from that what I like to call John Waters like golden period where like Hollywood and him kind of reached this brief nexus from from like Hairspray to Serial Mom. Yeah, and then it ended with Pecker. Yeah, like Crybaby flopped at the time. Uh, <laughs> Like, um, a bunch of studios were, uh, they wanted to, they were desperate to capitalize on the Hairspray Mania, mm-hmm. so they wanted John Waters' next movie, and, uh, Universal won it, and Crybaby flopped, but... But he was able to still get Serial Mom made. Yes, and it became such a cult phenomena, they made mm-hmm. a, they adapted into a stage musical. Which will probably eventually be adapted back into a movie, yeah. like Hairspray was. Yeah. I enjoy both versions of Hairspray, to be honest. I didn't see the remake. It's good. It's yeah. actually it's actually good. John Travolta's pretty good in it, you know, considering it was stunt casting. So yeah. And there's so many people in uh, Crybaby. Oh yeah. When you go back and you're, you're like, it's this person it's and this person, person. Yeah. and Iggy Pop and yeah, Iggy Pop is in it, right? Yes, he is. Okay, for a second I was like, wait, did I get that wrong? No. And yeah. Joe D'Alessandro has a bit mm-hmm. part and yeah, Mink Stole and yeah. mm-hmm. from the Angel series of films. That's yes. where I know her from. Um, anything else? I uh, I rewatched Prime Cut. That's a good one. Lee Marvin and Gene Hackman. Yeah, yeah. I've I've heard many years that it's a good one. I've I've still yet to see it. I should watch it. Uh, for the first time, I finally got around to watching Green Room. Ooh, what'd you think? What'd you think? What'd you think? Yeah, it's such a good movie. Yeah, it's awesome. And Mm -hmm. uh, for last night, uh, me and Graham went to see Phantasm. First time viewing. Oh, it was your first time? First time. I didn't you. know that. Yeah, it's it's like my like at least eighth or ninth, and I that movie is such a weird. Although it sucked because it was ruined by the idiots sitting behind us who would not shut up. I don't understand this. Why do you go to a movie theater? Why do you pay your money not to watch the movie? It doing? doesn't make sense. What was he up to? What was he doing? It was five of them, oh. and it was like basically they were just laughing at like 
oh my god look at that guy's hair ha 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 and oh, it's like those heels oh those heels oh it was the 70s and they wore bell bottoms that's hilarious and you're oh like oh my god vinyl siding <laughs> shag carpet <laughs> it's like my god you, they were just you could have laughing hysterically they, yeah because it because something happened in the past and it's not the style anymore they could those guys could have just stared at a blank wall and, and entertained themselves for the amount of time that they sat there in that theater watching phantasm i was so glad they didn't stick around for the q a because yeah. they would have oh, asked yeah. a bad question like did you mean for it to suck <laughs> yeah unfortunately there were no shit kickers to no. throw them out because no. usually uh, the royals good about that mm-hmm yeah, I've seen it happen a couple times, um, and, and that takes us. All, yeah. That takes us now. Lillian, have you seen anything interesting since we last recorded? Um, I know that the witch who came from the sea really affected you. Like you were messaging us for a while about like, oh, yeah. yeah, and like it, it's it's something that I think caught again like caught all of us by surprise. I don't know if tonight will be a similar situation. I would like it to be, but I don't. I don't know. Like it's it's. But I think like the American Horror Project, the um, the the box set has been like stellar so far with Malatesta's Carnival of Blood and The Witch Who Came From the Sea. So sorry, I cut you off. Have you seen anything? Yeah, totally. I, I feel like this, the movie that we're going to watch tonight is going to be like, yeah, watching The Witch Who Came From the Sea. From the Sea? From the Sea. From the Sea. Um, yeah, like it, I thought about it so much afterwards and, mm-hmm. and, and, and then Carnival of Blood came up. I listened to it again, and yeah. it reminded me of the movie again, like certain images and everything. And we watched the movie a long time ago, too. And it brought everything mm-hmm. back, you know, and and uh, we all, like, enjoyed it, and we didn't know what to, like, kind of mm-hmm. make of it, and it was well done, too. And yeah. I think this one's going to be this one's gonna be neat. Oh, So have you seen anything in the last little while? Oh, I was hoping I could blab and kind of dodge that question. I can't, okay, it's fine. I can't remember. Uh, no, I haven't really watched um, watched anything top to bottom. Mm-hmm. Oh, too bad. Um, you did see another film, Phil, that you forgot about. Yes, I did, but it's one that we disagreed. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, okay. I'll get into mine, and that'll kind of like bring it open. So we watched The Day After the Witch Who Came from the Sea, Let the Corpses Tan. Now, I, I want to preface this. I love this movie. Phil did not. No. Um, and the interesting thing, so like, uh, it was me, Phil, and Brandon Cox, my friend, who uh, went out to go see it. And at the end of it, it was like, you said you hated it. Um, or I don't want to say hate, but you, you disliked it greatly. I disliked it greatly. Yeah. And Brandon Cox said, it felt like I was being punched in the face for 90 minutes. Oh. And then I said, I loved it. And it, I, I just, I love it. I loved it so much. I thought it was really stylish. Brandon Cox made fun of you for it. Yeah, like he always does. But then I, you know, make fun of him for not being a real man. Ha! Um, I'm just kidding, just kidding. Uh, so after the, Let the Corpses tan, tan, I watched Slaughter High. Finally, it's a film that I've owned for a while now and I've meant to see. It's very bizarre because it is a... It's, I would have to say... So it's a British film pretending to be an American film. So they're all British actors like speaking with fake American accents, which makes them all sound like they were like went to a very fancy New England prep school. Um, and they're all way too old to be playing high school characters. And even it, it jumps forward in time to like when they're in their mid-20s. But even still, they're still too old to be playing people in their mid-20s. Like it features, um, oh my God, what's her name? I'm such a big, uh, big fan of her. She was in uh, Star Crash and she was also in um, uh, For Your Eyes Only, the James Bond film. Uh, Caroline Monroe. And at the time of filming, she was 36 years old. Um, 
So it's kind of like just strange to see like her playing a high school student, especially because she's a very classic British English woman and with a very posh accent and she is mangling it to try and sound American. And like years mm-hmm. after For Your Eyes Only. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. Like only few, not not super long. Yeah. Like six years after. Um, but the amazing thing as well is that like this is a British person's like attempt to mimic what Americans are like. And like all the characters are just assholes. Like they basically like torture this poor kid Marty to death. And like they're like, oh, he ruined our prank. We got caught and we got in trouble. It's like because they like stripped him naked and like shoved his head into a toilet and like videotaped it. And it was horrible. And then they like replaced something in the chemistry lab because he's also a nerd that does chemistry experiments. And it like causes him to like get burned to death. And they're like, oh, that ruined our fun. And you're like, oh, my God. So strange. And then I watched the film Cemetery Girls, a.k.a. Count Dracula's Great Love, which is one of the Paul Nashi Dracula films. Paul Nashi was a Spanish actor and writer and director who essentially did his versions of the classic Universal slash Hammer monsters. So he did Dracula. He did The Wolfman. He did, I think he did Frankenstein. I don't know if he did The Invisible Man or The Mummy, but um, he's famous for playing a character called Ombre Lobo, which I believe is like Wolf Guy? Wolf Man? Is that what Ombre means? You speak Spanish, right? Yeah. Lobo. Lobo. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, it was fun. Uh, then I watched the Dario Argento film Opera, which is such a fun movie, such such beautiful cinematography. Just a bonkers nutso plot that doesn't make any sense, where it's just like, the raven was the last person to see the killer. Let's unleash the raven into the opera and see, and the raven will go to the person who committed the murder, and that's how we'll know who it was. And it's like, that makes no sense. You can't let a wild animal solve your crime. Is this a watch or a rewatch? It's a rewatch, but yeah. I love that movie so much, but it's just like, yeah. what the F I, I, was this? I only this? watched it once, but I do remember like all those POV shots. And they're, it's great, too, and yeah. I, I watched there's some behind-the-scenes... so beautifully filmed. There's some behind-the-scenes interviews with Dario Argento, and he actually had to shoot not at the opera house that he wanted to shoot at. He shot at one outside of Rome, and like the rig they had for the camera was just like, I'm like, this is insane! They basically like removed the chandelier from the opera house ceiling and then just attach this like hydraulic camera lift that could spin around and like mimic the flight of a bird. And it's amazing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show it at movie night. We'll watch it on the podcast at some point. Um, then I saw When a Stranger Calls, the original version from 19, I want to say 79. I think it's 79, yeah. Still hadn't seen Which that. is not what you would expect it is because like the whole premise, uh, the whole pitch for the movie is this babysitter gets a call that's coming from inside the, inside house. the house. That's the first 20 minutes in the movie. Then it jumps to... Uh, 10 years later and the guy that that committed the call and committed the early murders escapes from a mental hospital and it's just basically like almost a drama of him homeless on the streets of LA trying to connect with someone and like terrorizing this woman while the police officer that was the police officer on the scene of the crime of the night is now a private detective trying to track him down and then it all ends up going back to Carol Kane who's now 10 years older with kids of her own and she realizes that this guy is coming for her anyways it, it was it was good it was weird it was strange um but it was, it was a fun movie. Then I rewatched My Bloody Valentine, which is one of my all-time favorite horror slasher films. It's Canadian through and through. They drink their moose head. It's set in Sydney. It's set in North Sydney, Nova, or no, it's in Sydney Mines, which is where it was actually filmed in Sydney Mines, Nova Scotia, which is like 10 minutes from where I went to high school. Um, and it's such a great slasher film. It got slagged off. So there's the Halloween Unmasked podcast that The Ringer is putting out right now. And they, they slagged, like they called... It's weird because they called When a Stranger Calls and My Bloody Valentine and Friday the 13th Halloween knockoffs. And I'm like, listen, all they did was see like, hey, they did a cheap film about a guy in a mask killing people. 
that's what they did. They didn't rip off Halloween. If anything else, more films ripped off Friday the 13th. You could even argue that My Bloody Valentine is a Friday the 13th knockoff, even though it's not. It was in production beforehand, and I don't think they even saw it. And plus, Friday the 13th knocked off Twitch of the Death Nerve by Mario Bava. They, he, you know, they, they hadn't actually seen Halloween when they made the movie. Um, sorry, I went off on a tangent there. Well, all slashers feature <clears throat> a killer with a murder weapon yeah. of some sort. And that predated Halloween, too. Like, they, you know, Black Christmas, Canada's own Black Christmas, was out, like, uh, four years before the original Halloween. And in fact, Bob Clark, the writer and director of Black Christmas, had a conversation with John Carpenter after because he was a big fan of Assault on Precinct 13. And John Carpenter said, like, did you ever think of doing a sequel? He's like, nah, but if I did, it would be something where, like, the killer from the first film, like, he was caught. He went to, um, you know, a uh, mental facility and then he breaks out on Halloween to come back and terrorize the sorority house on Halloween. And you'd call the sequel Halloween. And it's like, dude, I love that movie. Yeah. Stop slagging every and it's not really John Carpenter doing it he doesn't really talk about the, the knockoffs it's more the fans of Halloween that do anyways that's my little soapbox for the day then I watched the 1963 weird I can't even describe it it's a it's a film it's only 62 minutes long called The Undertaker and His Pals now this film is the story of an undertaker Mort the what's the mortician Mort the mortician that's how uh, inventive this this film is because they just call their mortician Mort um, and his two friends that work in a greasy spoon diner they basically become a biker gang of three and they decide to drum up business for the mortician by killing people and they decide to like reduce the costs of feeding people at the diner by having half the body go and become the meat that serves at the diner and everyone that gets killed their last name is a pun so for instance the first person to get killed their name is Sally Lamb. So guess what's at the diner the next day? Leg of Lamb! Um, a character named Poultry, uh, whose last name is Poultry, gets murdered. So, so guess what? Next day, it's Breast of Chicken. And you're like, this is so stupid. Um, it was kind of a knockoff of the Hirsch and Gordon Lewis films of the time, like Blood Feast and um, 2000 Maniacs. But it was done, it didn't have the meanness of those films, and it also knew that it was a comedy. So, like, in the opening scene, while Sally Lamb is being killed, it cut to a photograph of her boyfriend who's a sailor on the table. And it looks, you know, it's a photo of him smiling. Cuts to her, you know, being cornered. Cuts back to the photograph. The sailor is now, like, his eyes are wide and his mouth is open in shock. Like, oh, no. Cuts back to the murder. Cuts back to him. He's, like, you know, covering his eyes. It's like, that's the kind of jokiness it is. And it's so, it doesn't take itself seriously. It's weird and strange, and I can't even describe it. But The Undertaker and His Pals. It's a film that exists, is the best way I can put it. Um, then I watched... Um, the Boogeyman from 1979, which was another film that was accused of being a Halloween knockoff, but it's not. It's another film I can't really describe. It's just strange and weird. It's about, it starts off on a night when this the, these two little kids are watching their mother and, and their mother's boyfriend making it on the couch. And apparently every night, the mother's boyfriend gets angry and ties up the little boy, like ties him to the bed and gags his mouth and it's really horrific. And you're watching this like, oh my God, this is terrible. Then one night, the little girl cuts the 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 her older brother free. The older brother, or no, the younger brother takes the knife that she uses and then goes and kills the mother's boyfriend. And his ghost gets trapped in a mirror in their house. And then years later, the mirror gets smashed, and the shards of the mirror go to like where the brother and sister are now. And then the ghost of the boyfriend is like stalking them like a, a slasher, but there's no actual physical slasher. 
And there's a whole bunch of nonsense with a priest and some other stuff happens. I don't know. Um, so that brings us to Phantasm, which we watched last night, which I loved. And I got to ask Don Cascarelli a question about the infamous unmade Phantasm sequel, which was supposed to star Bruce Campbell and feature a post-apocalyptic um, wasteland uh, that was taken over by the tall man and his his infamous Phantasm spheres and his little Jawas. Whew, that was a long run through. Um, and then Bubba yeah. Hotep got made instead. Yeah. Which, you know what? I love Bubba Hotep. Have you seen, you've seen Bubba oh, Hotep? I haven't. Oh my God. Lil, have you seen Bubba Hotep? It's Bruce Campbell as old Elvis that didn't die in the 70s living in a um, nursing home. And it turns out that there's this ancient Egyptian mummy that comes in at night and sucks the souls out of the elderly. And no one notices because they're just the elderly and the elderly just die. So the real Elvis who's living in this <laughs> nursing home teams up with a man who is kind of insane who believes that he is John F. Kennedy, the former president of the United States. However, he's played by Ozzie Davis, who is very much a African-American. And the whole line is that Ozzie Davis says like, oh, they dyed me this color. And you're like, what? So it's 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 old Elvis and JFK team up to, to stop this mummy that's killing old people. It's great. Um, so before we get any further, there is um, a note I want to make. Um couple notes um uh it's halloween week this this episode will be up in a couple weeks hopefully uh, it always takes like a while to 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 get these out and i apologize i wanted to get our uh our um our which you came in from the sea episode up early earlier but you know it just didn't happen unfortunately um so an actor who's in a film that i greatly enjoyed passed away this week his name is uh james karen he was best known for the film Return of the Living Dead. He also was in The Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith and Poltergeist. He had a big role in the uh, 2006 Superman Return, so it got cut out. Um, he, he was not young either. Like He was born in 1923. Let me just look up how old he was. He was 94 when he passed away. He lived a full life. He was still acting even up, to, up until a couple of years ago. Um, we'll, we'll watch Return of the Living Dead at some point. We still got to do our Burt Reynolds um, uh, episode where we'll we'll be watching. Um, oh my God, he's in so many films. Smokey, Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just gonna give a quick run through of just from let's see, 1995 to now. He was in Congo. He was in the 1995 remake of Piranha. He was in. Uh, Nixon. He was up in Up Close and Personal. He was in Behind Enemy Lines. He was in the film Joyride. He was in A River Made to Drown In. He was in uh, Apt Pupil. He was in the film Any Given Sunday. He was in 13 Days. He was in Mulholland Drive. He was in House on Haunted Hill. He was in the TV series Inscripted. He was in Superman Returns. He was in The Pursuit of Happiness. He was in the 2009 film Jack and the Beanstalk. Um, yeah, he just, he kept acting. Like, there's just, you know... He's been around for a long time. He's one of those people, like, when you see him, you're like, oh, it's that guy. So, anyways, on that note, RIP James Karen, And uh, we're going to watch The Premonition and be right back with our thoughts on the film in a little bit. We'll see you soon. Your mommy loves you. A world gone mad. She does. A world of sorrow. For tortured souls, there's no tomorrow. Premonition, a masterpiece of terror and suspense. Losing her, 
I can feel it. Andrea's anger. No! I think Janie's mother's putting a hex on us. They'll never find this. You've got my baby, Sherry. You've got my baby, Sherry. You've got my baby, Sherry. We don't have your baby. She's ours. And you can't have her. Variety calls the premonition cinematic poetry insidiously fine. Ellen Barber is terrific. <laughs> Starring Sharon Farrell. But that's not all. I saw that, that woman again. She was covered with blood. Miles, she looked like... Jeff Corey. Appease a dead woman's anger. And Richard Lynch. Don't tell me what she needs. Oh, my God, no! The Premonition. No! No! Where dreams become a possessive nightmare. <laughs> Graceful and confident, Kevin Thomas, The Los Angeles Times. Both possible and terrifying, Archer Winston, The New York Post. The Premonition. Something's not adding up. There's too many weird things going on. Weird things going on. Weird things going on. Weird things going on. <laughs> the Premonition. A world of magic. Inspired by insanity, hatred, and fear. Redeemed. Hi, Mommy. By the power of The Premonition. A masterpiece of terror and suspense. The Premonition. From Abco Embassy Pictures. All right, and that was The Premonition. It was. So initial thoughts, guys. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A good wow, I should say. Yeah, I'm, I'm still at a loss for words in a way. Like, it's... You're like, we're still recovering from the witch mm-hmm. who came from the sea, and then this is just a double This is whammy. another, like, deep psychological, like, It's hit. a real slow burn as well. Yeah. I was really impressed with this movie for, like, for like a for a filmmaker with such a spotty output. Like, it, like it's the clear diamond in the rough for him, for Richard uh, Schneitzer or Scheitzner or something, whatever his name was. Uh, also, I forgot to mention, Richard Lynch is in this movie. He was in uh, Invasion USA, the Chuck Norris uh, crap fantastic masterpiece um i'm guessing he's playing a soviet yeah he plays like he plays the main bad guy he was also in rob zombie's halloween he was in albert pune's the sword and the sorcerer uh he was in the seven ups with roy scheider and uh i wonder if rob zombie's a premonition fan i don't know it's it's interesting because it's like he he's got a, a varied he was in puppet master three he was in Scarecrow with Gene Hackman and Al Pacino. He was in The Barbarians, the um, Lucio Fulci film. He was in The Ninth Configuration. Nice. He was also in God Told Me to Kill by Larry Cohen. He is was it in, God Told Me To or God Told Me to Kill? It's The official title is God Told Me To, but I always prefer God Told Me to Kill. Yeah, um, maybe yeah, it could very well be a censor mm-hmm. title. Yep. That he, could sound blasphemous. And Yeah, and the other thing, the other title that he was in, a movie that we will eventually get to, he was in... The Forbidden Dance is Lombada. Nice.
love the fact that there are two Lombardo movies that came out at the same time. He was also in Death Sport, um, Cut and Run, Scanner Cop, Alligator Part 2. Scanner Cop's the fourth Scanners movie, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That was when they were like, you know, we've done all we can do with just regular Scanner movies. Let's make him Scanner Cop. Um, and a whole bunch of other stuff, too. Just lots of stuff. Um, yeah, I think it's fair to say, like, this, the, you know, this is our, the final film in the, in the American Horror Project Volume 1 box set, and it, it holds up, like, it's, it's a good movie, you know, it's not the kind of, like, you kind of feel that, like, oh, they're repackaging these old films, you'd expect no. them to be bad, but they're good. Oh, no, no, yeah. Solid all across the board. So, um... I guess the basic gist, like, we don't have Kit with us to take notes, but the basic gist is that there is, um, the character, uh, what was her name, Miles, Miles and, um, Shelly. Cheryl. I thought it was Cheryl. Cheryl, yeah. Cheryl, yeah. Um, I'll just look, get, I'll get all the names, just so that we don't keep calling them, you know, the dude and the dude's wife and the, the doctor. This film, for being, like, a mid-70s film, had a decent representation for, uh, for people of color, like uh, one of the main characters is a uh, doctor of Southeast Asian uh, descent, um, who is the parapsychologist or the person with the parapsychotic powers, as Lillian described her. <laughs> even though she doesn't really have any parapsychotic powers, um, I don't know if that was a happy accident or what. The para- term parapsychotic. Yeah, I meant I meant to about her field of study. Her field is a parapsychotic parapsychology. Um, yeah, so it's it's Sherry Bennett is the main character's name, uh, played by Sharon Farrell. Uh, Miles Barrett is played by Edward Bell. The little girl J- uh, Janie is played by uh, Dan Danielle Brisbois, and um, Ellen Barber plays. Uh, so uh, Richard Lynch plays Jude, and uh, Ellen Barber plays Andrea, who is the biological mother of the Janie character. And it's gradually revealed throughout the film because, like, the film. Like it takes its time, just going from okay, how do we uh, set up this character? Because when the movie starts, you don't know that Andrea is actually the biological mother of Janie, and that she had a relationship with um, Richard Lynch's Jude while they were both in a mental asylum. Uh, so we find out later on in the film that um, she had Janie uh, like five or six years ago, and her husband at the time, Janie's biological father. Um, had a workplace accident which rendered him invalid like he couldn't walk anymore he's bound to a wheelchair she eventually takes off with Janie to like try and start a music career of some sort but has a mental breakdown along the way and winds up in a mental institution for around five years Janie like is put up for adoption and she's adopted by the Bennetts um so Ellen Barber I'm trying to figure out if she was in anything else oh yeah she had a few things she was in nine and a half weeks um she was on Law and Order. She gave, she very much, even though it, it's way before, but kind of seemed to have a bit of an Isabella Johnny in possession vibe to her. And she also kind of looks like Isabella yeah, Johnny in possession. Yeah, like very, the, the physique, very, the long black hair. Yeah, yeah. And she's although she, if she was wearing a blue dress, it'd be, she'd be spot on. Oh yeah. Yeah. So just looking, she was in. Um, let's see what else was she was in. Uh, she was in Nine and a Half Weeks, as I said. She was in Hill Street Blues, the television show. Oh my God, she was in the one season wonder, Cop Rock. If you've, wow, you guys ever heard yeah, of Cop that's Rock? Your, that's a pure favorite. Cop Rock is an interesting one season. It's a musical developed by who was it developed? The guy that did Hill Street, Hill Street Blues developed it. It was like supposed to be a gritty cop show, but they all sang like during the film. 
Um, I'm totally blanking on who did Hill Street Blues. Yeah, she was also in two different uh, Law and Order series. She was in Law and Order, the original series, and Law and Order: Criminal Intent. Um, and her last. Oh, did Mike Post write the music for Cop Rock? I don't know. I don't really want to open up that oh, can of sure, worms. Yeah. Cop Rock is uh, it's a difficult subject to go through. Oh, yeah. Long and varied. Be glad you don't know. Do you know about it, Lillian? Cop Rock. No, I'm still kind of like I don't get the Isabella Johnny. I didn't get at all that from have, her. Have you seen Possession? Though? We're talking about Janie's mom, right? Uh, not not uh, Janie's biological mom. The the woman the that kidnaps her, mom, the yeah. one in the red dress. She she does. Yeah, I didn't get that. Did you see? Me. Have you seen Possession though? Um, no, but I saw like clips of it. Yeah, I think I've, I know who Isabella Johnny is. It's not yeah. just from that. Yeah, 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 but she. I think it's Isabella Johnny in Possession is what that reminds me in particular. Yeah. Though. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. No, sorry, no that's fine. That Don't apologize. It's pointless yeah. Halloween. I know, which I'm going to miss. Yeah. <sighs> Anyways, um, so back to the film. So basically, and, and we're telling you the, the chronological story. How it actually starts off is it's basically we're introduced to Richard Lynch, who is kind of a mime photographer. Uh, who takes photos of like people sticking their heads through like a um, a painting at the the local fairgrounds? Yeah, I guess yeah, he's just a carny of sorts. Like. Yeah, it's his shake. Like he develops photos and mails it off to people. So they like you know give him their like two dollars. He takes the photo and he mails it off. Like he cuts them out mm-hmm. in the little circle, sticks them on like a. No, 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 they're already in a circular hole. Oh, right, it's okay. later on. It's it's just of Janie that he, he takes the photo, cuts the photo out of. Um, so he's reunited with Andrea, and they instantly start plotting to get Janie back, and that's going to be their kid. And she, I think he, they're they're both dealing from some sort of like mental breakdown or a psychotic break at a certain point. Um, but I think he is seeing this more as like. Oh, this is a chance for me to build a family. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's hints that he's impotent in the, throughout the film. Yeah. Um, and whereas she is seeing like this is you know Janie's a part of me. I am taking her back. Um, so then she goes to visit Janie at school, and that's where we meet Janie's adopted mom Sherry, who is I guess the main character of the film. It, it's it doesn't um, really have like it, it's it's kind of an ensemble piece like there's no real one set main character but i guess you could argue sherry is because she is the one yeah i, who I would suffers, say so who yeah. suffers the premonitions and she is the one who um essentially drives the plot uh once uh once at uh, spoiler alert andrea is dead but it, it takes at least on isn't until maybe like close to the second act and where she does become the protagonist yeah, I, find. I i enjoy that slow burn because like i look down at the the clock on my blu-ray player Sorry, folks, like to ruin the magic, but we, we are no longer in an abandoned video store. Um, <laughs> but I looked down and it said like, you know, we were a solid 24 minutes in and like it was still just leading up to leading up to mm-hmm. them attempting to kidnap her. So they eventually figure out where they live. And also at this point, we're introduced to uh, Sherry's husband, Miles, who is working. Um, he is a I guess he's a, an uh, astrophysicist because he discusses, you know, the evolutions of galaxies and stars. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, uh, let me just look up the name of the, I, I want to make sure I get this name right. And he basically meets a, um, a woman who is our parapsychologist who is, yeah, she's in town to give yeah, like speeches lectures and, and shows that. And so, um, that actress's name is, uh, Chitra Nioji. Uh, and she, yeah, she's known for the premonition to Sir with love. She was also in that, um, and then not much else is coming up here, to be honest. Theater 625, which looks like a television show. She was acting since the 60s. Um, 
and she she definitely like is it's interesting because normally when there's parapsychology there's always like a crazy example of like someone moving something with their mind whereas like this is very low-key and it's like well no like we we're using scientific methods to track and examine parapsychological phenomena and you know at no point does this character betray that you know academic veneer of like you know we much we're actually like doing research here we're not just i'm not saying that there's stuff in the world that you can't see or control or whatever even though she does say that but she says Mm -hmm. that based upon like when you eliminate every single possibility for a physical based um, upon their research basically yeah Yeah, she's not like desperately trying to convince uh no because skeptics exactly like she's very much like i'm doing research i'm collecting data and then based upon that data that we've collected through this research we will make a we will uh, a theory yeah exactly because in the first scene you see her in like you're seeing the people that are in their dream state and then in the following scene um she's having them uh, recreate images from their dreams yeah exactly and um and like they, they tend to notice that people have similar dreams so it's like there's kind of like a connection so um uh we should point out that cherry notices andrea looking at janie and she like mentions it to her husband, like it was just strange, like you know this strange woman talking to our daughter in the in the yard, and she wasn't a parent, she wasn't a teacher, we don't know who she was, and they kind of leave it at that. Um, and then one night, um, Jude and Andrea decide, okay, it's time to break in, and Jude is talking about like, oh, like I, there's this house, like we should sell the trailer that I have for the carnival, buy this house, and like you know it'd be a good place, you know, to lay down roots and you know it's far enough away from everyone they wouldn't find us there we can fix it up we can you know it'd be good for the kid we, we start a family and she is just completely not focused on reality whatsoever i think she is she's so far removed from reality like more so than than jude uh is even aware at that point but she also like scolds him like settle down are you out of your mind yeah exactly because because i think she kind of realizes like this is going to be you know years of running from the law and also he is a carny like that's the thing like there are two people who have suffered psychotic breaks that that are united through the carnival um yeah and like they're on his idea of settling down is oh i can get 200 dollars for this trailer yeah exactly and that'll like that'll carry us through until Janie goes off to college or something so he, he's clearly not thinking straight straightforward um and so anyways uh andrea breaks in and you think like oh they're gonna she's gonna kidnap Janie in her sleep but she just kind of holds her and rocks her back and forth and then sherry comes in and the scene is is terrifying because it's like it's played out very and I, I have to say like i want to point out like the camera work in this film is quite good like they they have an excellent use of handheld photography which is hard for the 1970s because the cameras were so heavy so like at yeah. certain points it really felt like you were especially in like the trailer early on it felt like you were like in there with jude and andrea because the camera was so close up in their faces like struggling to to find space and you could tell that like they were kind of feeling out their blocking as it was going through and so the at a certain point the cinematographer like you could feel like you know the, the actor walked forward and the cinematographer wasn't really ready for it and the the camera kind of moves but they keep rolling so it's very very impressive cinematography for such a low budget production and it's already a tense scene but it's made all the more tense because Janie has a uh, pet little little pet turtle oh, that has it. no formal uh, it, it has a little terrarium that it, it well, hides a little in. one but yeah. it's 
otherwise basically just around. around the world is its oyster yeah and that little turtle like i was so nervous because like the alternative title for this is turtle heaven i'm like i really don't want to see that turtle get hurt because you know it's like crawling on her pillow as she's sleeping it's very sweet she's like you know taking it with her on a trip you know it's it's very it's a sweet little turtle and the entire time like uh you know that andrea's got Janie in this rocking chair rocking back and forth the turtle's walking closer and closer and i'm like please don't kill that turtle yeah yeah it's never really said, but I kind of like after. So the scene ends, Sherry enters, and it doesn't play out like you, you would assume where she's like, who are you? What are you doing here? Like they both kind of pause for a moment and Sherry turns on the light and without verbalizing anything, she charges at Andrea and attacks her. And like Andrea kind of like puts down, puts Janie down in bed and then they go at it. And like eventually Andrea runs out after stealing a doll. And in the process, our little turtle friend Spot, as he's called, uh, gets crushed and dies. And, and Janie is oblivious because she is so sound asleep. And Yeah, yeah. That that was a really, really terrifying scene. It was. It's just a horrifying thing to like walk into a bedroom and see a stranger holding your child. Yeah, you know? yeah. So then the cops are called. And, and I in that movie, that's like, it, it doesn't happen constantly in the movie, but that's where the movie just suddenly goes to. 10 to 11 yeah. or 10.5 10.5 yeah, yeah yeah it's really intense mm-hmm. just the thought of it like how yeah oh wow so many so many terrifying moments i would say the interesting thing is normally in a film like this the husband wouldn't believe the wife like oh you're crazy there was no one in the house and like throughout the movie you would expect the husband to be like stop you expect him to be a gaslighter yeah exactly not. and they're not because like when i watched the boogeyman the husband character was like that too up until a certain point when he was like oh my god this is real <laughs> um but in this movie like and i think it's because it's, it shows a very realistic uh, relationship between Sherry and Miles because, like, he's a professional that, like, okay, we have to, like, figure out every rational thing. And they realize that, like, okay, there was a commotion. Janie saw someone. Sherry saw someone. The doll is missing. Uh, we assume that someone in their neighborhood saw someone in there, saw the pickup truck with Jude and Andrea just, like, peeling out of there. So it's not a, it's not a, uh, something that could be easily ignored or gaslighted. Um, and then it just kind of like goes. Then we we follow Andrea and Jude to their their this house that he was talking about, which is in a great state of dilapidation. Uh, it's the next morning. They wake up, and Andrea like wakes up with the doll that she stole lying on a bed. Jude wakes up in a haystack, and like he clearly wound up out there. He comes inside, and he tries to drink beer out of like a mug. Um, and she kind of confronts him and to, like points out the fact that you will be the father of nobody, you know. And um, excuse that, that, me, that, yeah. You totally skipped what over why she blew up at him like that. Why did she blow? up? I can't remember. He, he ripped the doll's head off. Oh right, I totally forgot about that. Sorry, sorry. And it was so like this is another terrifying scene because she really believes in her mind that this is her child, mm-hmm. and to have it ripped and torn and and just treated and that it, way it was terrifying it was another, to and watch. it was a very violent attack on this doll yeah, too which is something that like i don't think we were we were expecting at all in this film um and then so after this happens like he basically she goes to leave and he throws a bottle of ketchup that smashes on the wall then he grabs a knife and we see it's shot it's such a great scene because it's disturbing and terrifying but it's disturbing and terrifying by what we don't see. So, like, we see him, 
So there's a there's like a switchblade stuck in the kitchen table mm-hmm. next to his can of beer. Into the brick of cheese, actually. And, oh, into the brick of cheese, right, that he was eating. Yeah. So like he rips out the switchblade and knocks over his can of beer and it spills over the table as we hear Andrea's screaming off yes. screen. And it is, and it holds on that shot. And we don't see what happens to Andrea. It's just awful and bad. And then we see flashes of, of Jude. Uh, so Sherry has a premonition of... But you see, happening. but you see Jude's reaction when Andrea says, "Like you will never be a father." Yeah, and like this intense you're reaction. Not even a man. You're not even a man, and mm-hmm. he just raises the point because you know where the scene's gonna go, and yeah. it just lingers on his reaction with the switchblade in his hand. Mm-hmm. It's just terrifying and just gutting as uh, emotionally scene, gutting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so then um, that whole like the entire mm-hmm. scene, like from the beginning, him watching her with the doll, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. And so it's it's one of those things, like, and then the film carries on, and um, Sherry doesn't stop having these premonitions, and she thinks like, because she's like, I think you know, Janie's real mother put a hex on us, because like she sees the um, uh, she gets up to go like brush her hair apparently in the window. And she sees this this frost form. Not sorry, on the window, on the mirror. And she sees this frost forming on the mirror. And she doesn't know what it is. She calls her husband. She doesn't see it. And then eventually, they uh, went. At one point, the husband Miles is is out. Oh, at work. And they and he decides. Okay, we need to have the doctor whose name I can't remember. Well, I can't remember the name. And she tells Miles that she has the mm-hmm. chills. Yeah, she has the chills. She kind of like covers up. Yes, it's Doctor Kingsgate or something. Doctor Gina, uh, or Jenna, Gina. Yeah, Gina. God, what was it? What was it? Uh, Is your last name Kingsley? I think Kingsway. something probably Kingsley something Kingsway. Kingsgate. Uh, I'll get it right now. Kingsley, Kingsley. Yep, Kingsley. Kingsway. Gina. Gina Kingsley. Um, so Gina Kingsley says, like, you know, like I can actually like track this down and, and figure it out and so um Miles says oh like come bring and bring Gina or Janine Gina Janie uh to the <laughs> to the university and we'll actually like try and like try figure out what's going on here and get to the bottom of it and along the way all of a sudden like as they pull as um Sherry and Janie pull out in the car we see the back windshield is frosted over and then the front starts to frost over and then the car crashes. And so uh, Sherry's taken away to hospital. And when Miles gets there, he's like, oh, thank God my wife is okay. She'll be fine. And he's like, so what about my daughter? And they're like, the nurse that's attending to his wife is like, what daughter? Like, there was no daughter in the car. There's no one else in the car. He goes, tracks down the doctor. And the doctor's like, no, like, your wife was the only person brought here. And then eventually they go back and... They find the stuffed animal. find the... Yeah. It's like a rabbit. Yeah. Jan, uh, yeah. Janie's stuffed... Uh, or Jan, yeah. Janie's, Janie's stuffed, stuffed rabbit. Um, and they realize that Janie is gone. And then it's just this straight like, oh my God, where is she? And we realize Janie has actually walked to the carnival where Andrea like met up with Jude. Jude finds her and is like, oh, I'm going to raise her as my own, which is creepy as hell. Oh yeah, yeah. So he like has her in his trailer, and she's not. And she's talking in a catatonic state. Yeah, she's out. There's like a, I guess the best thing to describe would be like a fortune teller woman yeah. who's like mailing all the photos that like he took at the at the carnival, and he's, she's like you should take him to a doctor. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. she's the one insisting that this little girl needs like care, medical attention, medical yeah, attention. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's so weird. And then the mother Sherry further and further goes into this like almost uh, neuroses of like being uh, overtaken by this this evil force. And that's when Doctor Kingsley decides, you know, we need to find out more about this. And she like brings up horses, and she realizes, okay, the daughter will be found close to wherever horses are, and that comes into play later on. And in her sleep. Uh, Sherry hums a song and it's uncovered that that was actually the last piece of music that Andrea wrote before she had gone to the mental institution. Is it Dr. Kingsley who's transcribing Yeah, she's trans- she can actually like write out music, which is a very difficult thing to do. Like she, so she's got perfect ear, like an ear for music apparently. So that's, it's just amazing. And then they go and realize, they uh, compare it to the music that was left in the trunk at Andrea's ex-husband's house. And they realized it was the, not only the last piece of music she wrote before she went into the mental institution, but it was the last piece of music she ever wrote before she was murdered. By the way, they go to, I skipped over, they go to, Sherry kind of has a, a psychic connection to Andrea, and they go to that secluded house where Jude and Andrea were hiding out, and she realizes there's something in the lake, something happened there. And the police drag the lake and they find Andrea's body. And they realize that, you know, from beyond the grave, as Dr. Stuart Kingsley says, you know, we must appease her anger because a person can die, but the anger can live on. So um, so they decide, okay, we're going to give Andrea what the, because Andrea wanted a daughter. She has a daughter. We're going to give her the second thing. We're going to give her a concert. And it's like, how can you just do that? So like on the steps of, I guess, uh, the city hall, and I think it was shot in Missouri. Was it in, it was in, in Mississippi. Mississippi. But like, what city? Uh, they don't I can't specify. Call. Yeah. Oh yeah, Missouri's a state. I keep thinking it's a city. Um, but yeah, so um, so they decide to hold. Basically, they get an electric harpsichord, and luckily Sherry can play music, but she's not sure I can do it that well. So she performs, gets nothing, and then the cops like, I'm gonna go home and look for evidence there or something. And while he and he's like, it, like uh, holding a, a concert that won't reveal any new information, and then. A crowd gathers because the first time she performs the piece of music, it's just the cops listening. A crowd actually gathers to watch, and she starts to perform it again. And that's when everything kind of comes together. That's when Jude leaves the carnival and he's running away. And that's when the detective and he's stuck in traffic. He's stuck in traffic. And that's when the detective is at home and they're going through the mail and they find a photo. The photo. So the one piece of evidence that the detective finds is this cutout photo of Janie from the boarding house where Jude and Andrea were shacked up just before they attempted to kidnap her. And it's the same photo that they sent in the mail that they took at, that Jude took at the carnival. And that's how he realizes, oh my God, there's something at the carnival. He goes to the carnival, the, I guess, security guard or gate attendant tells him, sorry, like Jude actually like just pulled out of here 10 minutes ago. He tracks him down. As we're reaching the crescendo of this concert, um, Jude is stuck in traffic and he gets out to take a look and Miles uh, can't take it anymore. So he's wandered off down to the road and kind of is like just like leaning on a tree, like just trying to realize like, oh my God, my daughter might be gone forever. And he sees. It's not only that he stops to take a look, he's kind of entranced by the song that she's playing. Yeah. And that's kind of the whole point to kind of bring out. Exactly. The. Janie. Janie. The spirit. Yeah. Bring out the person who's got her. Yeah, Andrea. It, it, like, it kind of lured yeah. everyone into this one central spot. And so Miles looks up and sees there is a mural of horses attached to the truck 
that is pulling the trailer and and he remembers dr kingsley saying where you find her horses will be close by and he realizes oh my god this is there might be something in here he goes to look inside the trailer to see if he can find Janie. And like he, him and Jude kind of get into a fight. They fight their way into the trailer. We should also point out that the fortune teller woman tried to call the police to tell them like, hey, there is a child here that's been abducted by this carnival worker. Um, come and get it. But uh, Jude killed her. So we realize that Jude is like obviously not the best person to raise a child. Um, as And then the detective shows up and sees like, oh my God, it's that trailer from the carnival. He goes inside just as during the struggle between Miles and Jude, um, they knock open a door in the trailer, like a closet or something, and the body of the fortune teller spills out. And that's when they also realize Janie isn't in the car. And there's this wonderful moment then where we see the catatonic Janie walking through the crowd towards her mother as she's playing the song. And it just swells and swells and swells until the song ends. Janie's mother, Sherry, walks down the steps, embraces Janie in front of this entire crowd of people. Roll credits. Roll credits. Just, and the scene oh, just fade, continues. Continues. And then we see Miles walk in. We see the detective walk in. We see Miles pick up Janie and walk with Sherry away, hopefully back home. Yeah, and it was just this movie was a whole emotional gut punch. Like, I really don't know how else to describe it. Yeah. So, guys, I mean, do you have anything else to add? Should we go to final thoughts? Or? Um, no, we, we... I just realized, like, maybe like three minutes ago that we did miss a chunk of... Uh, what do we miss? Oh. It's um, it's um. There's so much. <coughs> yeah. There's so much. In mm-hmm. When Miles and Doctor Kingsley they go to the carnival. Oh together. right, and we think there might be some kind of like some extramarital some, thing happening. But it, but it ends quickly when she sees his wedding ring and she realizes yes. he is married. So therefore, it's there an, can just be no, an unresolved. Uh, yeah. Well, I think I think it's something where it's like I think, and that's again like it's such a mature, interesting thing where it's like. Because you see, like, because he, oh, he's not home the night that Andrea breaks into the house because That's he's right. having dinner with a colleague, the colleague being Dr. Kingsley. And so dinner being, uh... Going to a carnival, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. Like a, it's basically a date. Popcorn and, and cotton candy are apparently di- and dinner. And they're on a Ferris wheel together. Yeah, and having they're fun. They're catching side-eye. Yeah, they're an people. interracial couple. Yeah. Right. Yeah, or at least they look like an interracial yeah. couple. And it's interesting because in, 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 like, a lot of other movies, that would be, like, a point as well where it's, like... Oh, the husband wants to cheat on the wife and now the wife is acting crazy you know oh my god if only this like stuck up wife could or this like you know crazy wife wasn't around I could be happy with my new love but it doesn't go that way and I, I like the movie for not going that way because it's just sort of this thing where it's like oh we can have a fun time but oh you know this can't go any further than this because you know you're married and we're both professionals yeah there was a twinge of it but uh, it it left it it left it in the kind of back and said no yeah I um, know we don't the foreground we don't need to is go down gonna there. be the story, Something yeah. Else, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, so, Phil, final thoughts on The Premonition? I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, there are just so many layers to it. It's It's got this nice slow build. Great use. Uh, spare uh, use of practical effects. Uh, very mm-hmm. effective. Um, yeah. It knew it did a lot with it a little. Yes. Lillian, what are your final thoughts? Oh, Phil, that's well put. Uh, I don't know what I could add to that. I'm, I'm still like, I'm still thinking about it, and mm-hmm. uh, there's just so many things. Like, it's almost making me wonder if I'm imagining mm-hmm. a lot of it too. You know, yeah. like what's real and and which part oh, wasn't. That's phony. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really, really intense scenes. Mm-hmm. 
and I guess I could say it totally delivered to the trilogy. Yeah. Um, this was another good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it's, it's in the same way that the other two were yeah, like the. They were good. They were like the. It, they really are diamonds in the rough because there's so much like re, so much regional filmmaking from that era that kind of can fall into schlock or into exploitation, mm-hmm. and all three of these films don't. Like that's the crazy thing is like they're not schlock, they're not exploitation. No, they all have a a great like. Dramatic, they're not exploitative. Yeah, I mean Malatesta a little bit. A but, little bit. Yeah, but... I think Malatesta out of all the three films is probably like the one that's the most like our usual fare because yeah. it's just strange, but it's done so effectively and so just weird and bizarre and the last two films of the witch who came from the sea and um and this film the premonition are just like they are very solid films with a, a strong dramatic under like uh core to it that i don't know i i'd hold hold them up against any other mm-hmm. films from this era or this era for that matter yeah it's also interesting about the premonition is that it takes parapsychology seriously it's not like a convenient plot device. Yeah, where it's um, like, it's, it's not a, it, can, it can't just, it's a, not a magic wand that can save things. Like, exactly. I know how to reach into the spirit, like spirit world. They're like, you know, they don't just become magical doctors, you know, as they ha- have in other films. And the movie seems to make the argument that there's just stuff that can't be explained away with science. Physical, with physical science. That's physical what she, science, she kept on yes. saying. It's like, it's, she kept, that was one thing Dr. Kingsley kept saying is like, you know, so far we only track physical stimulation. We don't yes. track the, the neuro, like the the mental, the metaphysical, metaphysical. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like she's even arguing this. Like it's not so much that there's like people have powers. It's just like yeah. connections can forge that mm-hmm. go beyond the physical, uh, or and they even bring up artistic or um, uh, influence. Yeah. So there's something else. So it's like it treats it very in a serious manner. Um, it could have easily just you know she could have been like the mystical foreigner that can yeah, wave a magic totally, wand yeah. and figure it out or they could have held a seance or something like that but on the whole i was very impressed with it and i i, I it's gonna be hard to go back to our normal stuff after this <laughs> yeah. you know? and, I, and i think that kind of level of seriousness you could see throughout mm-hmm. too just the way everything else was treated too yeah like just that scene of her going up the stairs because she hears something in in her yeah. daughter's room and mm-hmm. like you hear the creaking and and, oh it's, and it's played out without words. Like that's what I liked about that sequence too, because there's no like, who are you and what are you doing here? It was very much a. What do you say? It was to very that, much like right? my child it is was... being held by a stranger in my own house. All she could do was scream. Yeah. Yeah, and lunge. And then that terrible, terrible thing of like when Andrea screams at her just before she leaves the house, she's mine or she is mine or something. It's like it's just. This guttural, awful, horrible thing that you don't want to hear, that any parent wouldn't want to hear someone say. Yeah, I love the sound design of this yeah. movie. Yeah, great score, great sound design. Man, we're batting three for three with these. So, come back next week when we watch <laughs> The Cannibals at 8 Sweden. Ah, uh, no, there's no Cannibals at 8 Sweden movie. I don't know what we're doing next week. I That's actually got to I gotta, I gotta, I gotta think, think on next week. Um, we'll figure out something good. Um, I wouldn't mind doing something a little lighter, just to, to, broaden, <laughs> to brighten the mood up. But those episodes tend to go along when we watch later stuff. Who knows? We might uh, dig into our uh, something by our old friend Albert Pune. We'll see. We'll see. Um, so, on that note, for Death by Video, I've been Phil. I've been Lil. And I've been Graham saying, please be sure to rewind. We will see you next time and keep on watching awesome movies. Good night. Bye. Just like an old time movie
About a ghost from a wishing well In a castle dark Or a fortress strong With chains upon my feet You know that ghost is me And I will never be set free As long as I'm a ghost You can't see I could read your mind, love What a tale your thoughts could tell Just like a paperback novel The kind of drugstore sells When you reach the part Where the heartaches come The hero would be me The heroes often fail And you won't that book again because the ending just too hard to take I'd walk away like a movie star who gets burned in a three-way street Into number two A movie queen to play the scene Of bringing all the good things out in me But for now, love, let's be real I never thought I could act this way And I've got to say that I just don't get it I don't know where we went wrong But the feeling's gone And I just can't get it back If you could read my mind, love What a tale my thoughts could tell Just like an old time movie about a ghost from a wishing well In a castle dark Or a fortress strong With chains upon my feet The story always ends If you read between the lines You'll know that I'm just trying to understand The feeling that you lack Never thought I could feel this way And I've got to say that I just don't get it I don't know where we went wrong But the feeling's gone And I just can't get it back